Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shen. Pick up any celebrity magazine in any grocery store line, and the people gracing the cover were almost certainly unknown five years ago, and most likely will be forgotten in another five years. Such is the transitory nature of celebrity culture today. But of course, there are exceptions. There are many celebrities that are famous not just for being famous, but because they've given the public something unique in terms of their art, their personality, and the narrative of how they achieve their fame, which has also become part of their contribution. Such is the case with Barbara Streisand. We're going to talk about Barbara Streisand today with my guest, Neil Gabler. Neil Gabler is the author of four previous books, including An Empire of Their Own, How the Jews Invented Hollywood, and Walt Disney. It is my pleasure to welcome Neil Gabler back to this program to talk about Barbara Streisand redefining beauty, femininity, and power. Neil Gabler, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you here. I want to talk about this idea, and we see it with with celebrities, certainly in the entertainment business, and we see it in politics sometimes, although it's hard to think about that in in the current cacophony that we're in. But <laughs> but where it's it's not only the art that is the contribution, although that's a big part of it, but oftentimes it is the narrative of how somebody achieves and and gets to their success that becomes part of who they are as an artist. Well, I don't think there's any question that that's the case with Barbara Streisand. And, and there's another additional facet to that before I address how she got there, which is that how she got there became a central part of her art. But let's talk about how she got there. You know, Barbara Streisand was a Jewish kid, born in Brooklyn. Father died when she was 15 months old, had a very arduous childhood. Uh, her mother remarried, uh, and the stepfather, uh, Barbara's stepfather, was a man with the inappropriate name, given uh, how he later treated her, of Louis Kind, because he was anything but kind. Uh, they, that is Barbara's stepfather and mother, had a child of their own, Rosalind Kind, who some of your listeners mm-hmm. may remember was a singer in her own right. Uh, and Louis Kind would refer to his two daughters, Rosalind and Barbara, respectively, as Beauty and the Beast. So she overcame this whole idea that she wasn't attractive, um, that she wasn't particularly well-loved. Her own mother, when Barbara said that she had aspirations to become a movie star, when she was quite a young girl, her mother said, you're too ugly to be a movie star. It's never going to happen. Uh, You should become a secretary. And in fact, Barbara Streisand later said that she, one of the reasons she grew her nails so long, those famous long nails of hers, was that she could never type. <laughs> uh, but this, this idea ran throughout her entire you know, childhood and into her early career, the idea that she was not attractive enough to be an entertainer, uh, even in some precincts that she wasn't good enough. She went to Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn, and the chorus director did not give her the solos even though she had a beautiful voice when she was very young. Um, it, she, he gave those solos to another classmate who was more operatically, uh, given more operatic delivery. And then when she did, she graduated high school early so that she could go to Manhattan and attempt to enter show business. She was told repeatedly by agents and producers uh, you are not attractive enough to make it in show business. Of course, the famous nose, the nose, you need a nose job. Nobody ever can make it in show business with a nose like that. So all of those things 
I think, kind of, of you know, lay the foundation for the hurdles that she had to leap in order to succeed in show business. And as I said earlier, I think she took this whole life experience of being the woman who was slighted, even humiliated, and made her career out of those things. I mean, if you listen to her music, how much of her music is about heartbreak and pain and loneliness? Talk a little bit about the degree to which it's also about the way she worked so hard at her art, you know, and, and being called a perfectionist, and that oftentimes carried to extremes in terms of what the reaction to it was, and the way power became as important for her as the art itself. Well, the book is, is subtitled Redefining Beauty, Femininity, and Power. Barbara Streisand was a perfectionist from the time she was very young, and when she signed her first recording deal, with Columbia Records, and by the way, the president of Columbia Records at the time, Goddard Liebertson, was no fan of Barbara Streisand. He had to be pressured to sign her up. But when she signed that contract, she made a deal that she would take less money, not that she was offered a gigantic sum, but she would take less money in exchange for total control over the album. So she knew, at basically the age of 20, that control was where she wanted to place her chits. And indeed, she did that. And you see that also in her films as well. I mean, even in her early films, when you know, she really doesn't have much control, she exercised whatever power she could. And later, she parlayed that into producing and directing movies. And to get to your point about how she exercised her power and the way in which that was used against her, you know, there was always a sense, and this is, I think, largely because she was a woman, uh, that, you know, when she was a singer, she was told, uh, you ought to know your place. Just stay being a singer. You don't have to become an actress. And when she became an actress, again, she was told, you ought to know your place. You don't have to become a producer. Uh, and when she became a producer, again, she was told, you have to know your place. You don't have to become a director. So that she encountered throughout her career this idea that she ought to know her place. She ought to be submissive. She ought to be happy with what she's got. Uh, so that, that exercise of power was something that came uh, to, to really sort of bite her. But even early in her career, when she was doing Hello, Dolly, and she was co-starring with Walter Matthau, uh, Matthau was a journeyman actor. He felt he'd paid his dues. He thought he was a, a pro's pro. Uh, in fact, one could say that Streisand was more professional than he because she wanted everything to be absolutely perfect, and that exasperated him to the point where he went to the head of the studio, Richard Zanuck, and he complained that he couldn't work with this pipsqueak. She was 28, 26 years old at the time. Um, you know, she was driving him crazy, and Zanuck said to him, the film is not titled Hello, Walter. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, Streisand throughout her career, even later on, when she is, you know, the, the, the top of the heap, took great flack for, for that perfectionism, for wanting to control things, for wanting to make sure they were right. And as she herself said, you know, when a man exercises that kind of control, oh, he's, he's a perfectionist. When a woman does it, she's a monster. She's a diva. She's the B word. 
And what price did she pay personally for that? Well, I think she paid a big price personally in her own romantic life, to be honest about it. Um, you know, Barbara Streisand in some ways was almost too much woman for almost all the men that, with, with whom she had romances. I mean, her very first romance with Elliot Gould, uh, whom she marries, uh, began when Gould was the star of the Broadway show, I Can Get It For You Wholesale, and Barbara Streisand was playing a supporting role as Miss Marmelstein, a, a secretary uh, who was rather forlorn because she was unloved. Again, another case of Barbara Streisand, the person conflating with the role she played. But it wasn't very long after that musical opened that Barbara Streisand became the showstopper with the single number that she had in that show and was nominated for Tony for that performance and eclipsed her boyfriend, later her husband, Elliot Gould. So this kind of became a theme in her life that no matter who she was having a romance with, she was eclipsing that individual because she was just such a colossal star. She was just so big. Um, and she had many, many romances, but only you know, two marriages and only one that stuck, namely uh, the, the one she has now with James Berlin. So I think she did pay that price. And certainly the tempestuousness of a relationship with John Peters was, was part of that, too. Oh, the John Peters relationship is, is uh, rather an interesting one. John Peters was a hairdresser, a big hairdresser in Beverly Hills, but a hairdresser nonetheless. And he had a, a bravado and a braggadocio and a, and a kind of a loud personality. He was... He, considered himself a real ladies' man, and he, and he was. Um, and he saw Barbara Streisand and said to himself, even though he was married at the time, uh, to the actress Leslie Ann Warren, you know, I'm going to, that, that woman, I'm going to get that woman. And he did. He did. Uh, it was a very tempestuous relationship. Two very strong personalities, uh, butting heads. And in some ways, as I say in the book, that relationship was, was Barbara Streisand's adolescence, even though she was mm -hmm. <laughs> in, into her 30s when she had that relationship, because Barbara Streisand never really had an adolescence. She went from being a teenager uh, right into show business, and she never had that kind of, of teenage romance, that boyfriend who took her to the prom. In fact, she always said, I was the girl that never got asked to the prom. So she... she experienced that adolescence through John Peters. And it was a rather wild period in her life where John Peters basically became her Svengali, took over her career. And that's a very rare thing for a woman who, as I said earlier, you know, exercised the kind of control and, and was not submissive uh, as Barbara Streisand was. But it was because she was reenacting her youth that she allowed John Peters to take that role in her life. And they went on to have, you know, as I say, a tempestuous relationship and a tempestuous professional relationship. He decided he was going to produce her albums, even though he had no experience. He decided he was going to produce her film, uh, A Star is Born, even though he had no experience producing. Uh, and, and that caused more ripples 
in Hollywood of people saying these two these two people are just you know off going off the the tracks. They just are you know thinking that they can control everything when they don't have the the experience to do so. And she took you know abuse for that. And A Star Is Born, despite the fact that it was a tremendously successful movie, took about as hostile a hit from the press as any film that she ever made. And I think that hostility was in large measure because of the combination of John Peters and Barbara Streisand. Did she have any role models, either in the music business, the film business, or anywhere else? Were there people that she looked up to and said, that's the career path I want? Not really. You know, Barbara Streisand called herself, and I think this is an accurate characterization, she was sort of self-willed and self-invented. You know, now she listened to other singers. There was a period in which she underwent a kind of musical education. She listened to Billie Holiday and Edith Piaf. And, uh, but, but, you know, Streisand was sort of sui generis. She was her own person and her own thing. And I don't think that she tried to model her career after anyone else's career, because to be perfectly honest, there had been no other career like hers. There was nobody else like her. There was nobody, for one thing, who looked like her before she became a movie star. Though she had those aspirations, as I said rather early, you know, she couldn't look to the screen and see, there's someone who has the ethnicity I have, you know, who has the unconventional look that I have, who acts the way that I have, and she was always accused of, of acting too Jewish, of being too much, of being too loud, of being too obstreperous. So there was no one for her to look to of whom she could say, that's the career I want. Barbara Streisand hacked that path herself. And now there were others who followed in her wake. I mean, people like Bette Midler and Janis Joplin and today Lady Gaga and Adele. But there was no one who hacked that path for her before she did it herself. Why has she backed away from producing movies? It's really an area that, that she kind of got out of. I think she backed away because she found satisfaction in other things. You know, we, we think of entertainers as being relatively needy. They need the audience, they need the power, and they need the status. No one wants to be yesterday's news. And, and so you see, in some cases, the rather pathetic situation of one-time big stars who are still trying to cling to their celebrity by their fingernails because to give it up would be essentially committing a kind of psychological death. But that is not Barbara Streisand. First of all, she never liked performing that much. You know, performing was not something that she she you know, was eager to do, and she was never that needy in terms of, of audience response. Um, she was looking for personal satisfaction, and she herself said that her career was a sort of sublimation of other things that she wanted. But when she achieved some of those things that she wanted in her personal life, when she became a mother, uh, later with her marriage to James Brolin, uh, when she focused a lot of her attention on designing her homes, uh, both in terms of the interior design and even in terms of the exterior design, you know, devoting some of her energies to architecture. She, and, and also when she became a philanthropist, 
the Barbara Streisand Foundation is a, is a large foundation that is involved in a lot of different charities. I think that those things gave her satisfaction. And, and the idea of having to perform, of having to produce movies, of having to direct films, was no longer as appealing to her as it once was when she felt that, you know, she, if she was going to have this career, she might as well control that career. Well, now she's doing other things and, and finding happiness in other ways. Was there a sense of her, A, squandering any of that talent because she didn't pursue some of those things? And why is she performing again now? Well, I don't think she ever felt that she squandered her talent. Uh, my sense of her is that she did the things she wanted to do most of the time. I mean, there were a couple of situations where there was a film she wanted to get made uh, and, and she couldn't get it made. Um, you know, the, the, the AIDS film, Normal Heart, which she really wanted to do badly and had spent nearly a decade of her life trying to get made uh, and was not successful at doing so. I think that's something she you know, has regrets about, but not because she didn't try, uh, but just because the industry wouldn't do it. But when it came to things like Yentl, which was another project, nearly a decade-long project that she had wanted to do and, and for which she was told, we'll never make this movie, it's too Jewish, there's just no way we'll ever return any profit. Uh, but she stuck to it and made a concession, uh, one large concession, a number of smaller ones, the large concession was that she was going to turn the film into a musical because the studio felt... It might not make money on the movie, but it would make money on the soundtrack uh, because Barbara Streisand would sing all the songs. Um, but, but again, I think you know she, she was able to achieve nearly everything that she wanted to achieve. Now you ask, why is she going back on tour? Um, and I, I don't think it's because, uh, as I said earlier, she wants to be at the top of the heap. Um, but I think that over the years, and she said this, um, she's come to appreciate the audiences more than she did when she was young and when they terrified her. Remember, there was a, uh, Jeff, there was a 13-year period where she did not perform publicly, where she was suffering from you know, over a decade-long siege of stage fright. And I think as she's gotten older, that's diminished, and she appreciates how much she is appreciated. And she said that. This is not something I'm imputing to her. She said that she appreciates how much the audience appreciates her, and, and that that's given her a, a tremendous satisfaction. You know, this is not a long tour that she's going on. It's only nine cities. Um, you know, it's not one of those gigantic, you know, Taylor Swift tours. Um, but I think it's a way for her to reconnect with that audience and, and for them to have a love fest, really, because that's what it is. I mean, it really is a love fest. People don't just like Barbara Streisand. They love her, if they love her. By the same token, people who hate her really hate her. Uh, but there are a lot more lovers than haters. And finally, what do you think is the one thing she will be most be remembered for? Her, what, what contribution? Music, movies, etc.? That's a great question, and a difficult one to answer, because you know, in movies... She was a different kind of, of performer, a different kind of actress that opened the way for other actresses who are not conventionally beautiful and, and did not play a conventional female role. In her singing, she helped change the whole nature of popular vocalists um, by, as was once said of Billie Holiday, and I think equally true of, of Barbara Streisand, she didn't sing to the melody, she sang to the meaning. 
And when you listen to Barbra Streisand, more perhaps than any other vocalist, she acts her songs. She doesn't just perform them, but each one becomes a three-act play. And that is something that other singers have picked up on, everybody from Celine Dion to Mariah Carey to Adele. Uh, and that's something that I think Barbra Streisand endowed to music. And it may be her lasting artistic contribution. I think her lasting cultural uh, con contribution is redefining the femininity, uh, beauty, and power, as I say in the subtitle mm -hmm. of my book. Neil Gabler. The book is Barbara Streisand, Redefining Beauty, Femininity, and Power. Neil, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Jeff, I appreciate your asking me. Thank Let's you. Let's do it again. Thank you. 